0: Today we're going to look at part two of last week's message and good standing. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for each one here again. As you know, in my heart and my testimony there that that truly is a blessing to see each one here. Is your grace and thank you for those that suffered the heat and coming out. It's a desire to be in your house, a desire to worship you and to feed on your word. And I pray, Father, that you will give just that that you will feed each person here through your word and I pray that there be that sense and that all of just being collectively in your presence and may we each be touched and uh, by you and receive from you the specific things you want us to hear whether it be through this message in of itself or simply through you dear Holy Spirit speaking uh, other things that you want us to hear whatever that might be Bless his Father. Glorify your name and lift your son up, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we discussed how we are to live a life that allows God's name and reputation to be in good standing. I mean, that's important, isn't it? That as Christians, we uphold the banner of, a, of, of God in our community. And that that banner represents integrity and authenticity of heart and commitment to God, and that gives God a good name. And we can hold up a banner, we can, we can proclaim our faith, but if our authenticity isn't proven by our lifestyle and our heart commitment and evidence that we are yielding to him, then God's name is not lifted up, not honored as it should. So praise God that we have an opportunity to represent him in a world that needs to know him. So when the Israelites worship the golden calf, They were bringing shame to God's name, right? We mentioned that last week. And teaching, and this is a a thing that really impacted me, and teaching the world that their calf idol was better than God. So when we're not holding up the banner of God for God on his word and having the authenticity and the... um, the genuineness of heart behind that, then what we're saying to the world is that God's way is not the best way, the world's way is. And so we have an opportunity to make that distinction to those around that God's way is better and to be that vessel that God wants to use to declare that, that God's way is better. This week, I want to talk about our name and reputation being in good standing in the world. Last week was upholding the name of God and the truth of God in that sense of, of who he is. Today, that good standing is represented by the authenticity of our heart with God. And that is evidenced by how we follow God, how we uh, yield to him and surrender our lives over to him. So, in order to uphold that good standing, that good name, that good reputation that God wants us to, to uphold as believers in Christ, that will take a strong stand, right? In other words, we have to make a commitment to stand strong for God if we're going to be those authentic believers in Christ that are genuine. It takes a commitment and a decision. So there's, there, there will be a requirement for us to, as we stand strong for God and be bold for God and for his word this of course is what is necessary we have to be stand strong we have to be bold we have to make that commitment we have to live it out as god gives us grace and ability to do so to walk the path that god lays before us one of the things i find exciting is that god has his path for each one of us to follow uniquely our own uniquely our own What's that scripture, and I'm paraphrasing now because it's just popping in my head now, is that uh, I reach toward the high calling of Jesus Christ, which God has laid hold of me for, right? God has laid hold of us for. So each one of us, God has laid hold of us as believers in Christ with a plan, a journey, a focus that he has for us. So we need to follow that path that he lays out before us, and that path is called our journey in life, right? Right? So that's the decision, is it not? That's a, a requirement in order for us to be effective and being the people of God is to make sure that we're walking in the path that God wants us to walk. We can have the head knowledge, we can know the word, we can stand on the word, which is like I was saying last week. But you know, if you if you're witnessing to somebody and there's not an authentic reflection of your faith behind it, people know the inauthicity of the individual's character, don't they? If they know that we're authentic, then that just gives more credence to what we're preaching, if you will, what we're declaring, what we're standing on, whom we're standing on. And so we have to be willing to follow the path in order to be more authentic or to be authentic as God would have us to. And there's the distinction between holding up him and a good name for him and what we declare is right and living out, the life that God wants us to live and to follow, backing it up with authenticity. That's important. The word journey is a key word in the message this morning. The word journey is not just a lighthearted expression. Oh, it's not a cute way of putting it. Life's like a journey, you know? No, the word journey is very significant in this message this morning. But the opposite is true. Our journey is a very important consideration. In other words, it's not just a lighthearted expression. It is a very important consideration. Notice I'm using the word consideration. It's a reflection. It's something we need to be aware of, keep in front of us, be cognitive of our journey. Because we can get lost in life, so to speak. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, but we can get lost in direction and purpose. So we have to specifically, intentionally look at the path that God has us to be on and that is established by making sure that we're in step with God, listening to God, knowing that we're in His will, where He wants us to be, doing what He wants us to do, uh, responding as He calls us to respond. Of course, that's a daily effort, but that's what keeps us on that path. Our journey is the distance of time God has allotted to each of us to live. I want us to just hold on and think about that. Our journey, your journey, my journey, is the distance of time that God has allotted for each one of us to live. That's our journey. Now, what we do with that journey is up to to each one of us. And as believers in Christ, where we line ourselves up with God. Psalm 139:16 is a verse I reflect on and use in counseling quite often. So your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they. All were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So God already allotted the time for each one of us to live. Now what do we do with that journey? What do we do with that time? Our journey is to live life for God if we choose to. Because it's a choice. It's a believer's choice. And to seek and obey his word and his will for our life. Sometimes Satan will whisper in our ear, It scares me to death to seek God's will and to obey his word or his will for my life. But we need to remember that God is not just holy and just and, and pure, but God is love. And we sometimes overinflate that, but we can't overemphasize the greatness of God's love for us. So everything that he has in store for us and our following him, whether challenging or not, is out of his genuine love to work that that beautiful good thing that god wants to work in each of our lives to transform us and to shape us into the people that god wants us to be so that helps us through difficult times god i don't understand why i'm going through this but i know you love me i know you're holy i know you're just i know you're righteous and i know that you're always working good on my behalf so thank you and sometimes we need to funnel through the, the hard times through that that process of thinking, it will help us. I came across something interesting in the Old Testament vocabulary. You know, as I was studying the vocabulary of the Old Testament that relates to the subject of our personal journey in life. First of all, the Torah. How many of you know what the Torah is? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Book of Moses, okay? It's also what uh, I'm teaching with the Paleo-Hebrew in class the deeper meanings of the, of the Word of God through the Paleo, because Moses wrote in Paleo in the first five books of the Bible. And so it's, a, it's an interesting study. So as I was looking through vocabulary, we're not going into Paleo here, but as I was looking through vocabulary and learning some things about this, we learned that there were words related to the Torah. The Torah is also known as what? The law. So the Torah is the law in particular, It's the ordinances or the ways or the purposes that God has given to his people Israel. Okay, that's a good thing. This is my calling on you. This is my purpose for you. This is what I want you to learn from me to apply to your life, right? And so the Jews were given... Some of, we think about the first five books of the Bible, we think about Leviticus, well what a drag, you know, or or Numbers, what a drag, or or all the regulations on food and clothing and things like that. But there's so much more in the first five books of the Bible as there is throughout the Bible as we know it. And so having said all that, it's not to say that the first five books are the answer to our life, but we need to understand that the Israelites were given the first five books. it's all they had. To as instruction from God to live by. And then until the prof- prophets came, and that was the fruition of the prophets and the teaching of the prophets, and of course the New Testament came into line. And so the word of God and uh, in the, in the Torah has a, a deep and profound spiritual application to our life. So I don't want to think that it doesn't apply to us. But getting back to these words and that I want you to look at. I want you to think about, what did I say earlier? That the word journey is not just a cute little saying of, about life, the word journey is something to be, to take into consideration seriously. And so from the Torah, there's some words that are related to the law of the Torah or instruction for life, that's what I've been trying to communicate here, that, that these four specific words have an interesting definition to them, okay? So the word Torah is usually translated as law, but literally means journey. The first five books were given to Israel by Moses, God through Moses, right? As as the guidelines for them on their journey as a nation of of Israelites, right? And the second word here is the word mitzvah is usually translated command but literally means directions for the, guess what, <laughs> journey. Mitzvah, okay, means, or command, means directions for the journey. The third word, and I'm probably butchering this word as I say it, but zadik, is usually translated righteous, but literally means traveling the path. These are words that, are, that reflect on the law of God in the Torah, right, just that in itself, but it's also other areas of the Bible. And the fourth word, Russia, is usually translated wicked, but literally means lost from the path. So, what would you gather from that? What would you gather that God was trying to intend just in those words that are taken from the law? We see that the law represents journey, the command. The command represents the directions for the journey. The word righteous means traveling the path, right? We're walking right with God, right? Traveling the path. The wicked lost from the path. So we can, we can choose either to walk in the path of the journey that God chooses for us or we can choose to be walking off that path. But God, of course, wants us to walk on the path he lays before us. He doesn't promise it to be easy. But he does promise to be our strength. He does promise to provide everything we need to follow the path that he's called each one of us to go on. And I'm glad that God has not given us, this, each of us, the same path to follow. We have the same person to follow, Jesus, but we have different paths to follow. And that a lot of time that God's given us caught our journey here on earth before we go to be before the Lord. So you see, God cares about your life journey enough that he gave us written directions on how to travel the path of righteousness and how to keep us from losing sight of it. What's the value? You've heard me mention it before. What's the value of keeping sight of that path? I may not have said it like that before. The value is this, that at the end of our life, we can say, my life wasn't wasted. My life wasn't spent on just earth and earthly things and worldly focuses and objectives. My life was focused on Jesus, his will for my life, the path he had me to walk, the relationship I had with him that not only affects earth here, but eternity. See, if we're focused just on worldly things, when we die, that's worldly things, and they're gone. (laughs) It's kind of like shaking the wheat, you know, from the shaft. You're going to have a lot of empty husks sort of speak of the shaft and much more than you would of the wheat when we're shook down from all the stuff that doesn't count how much wheat or how much product there is going to represent our faith to God our love for God because faith to God is a result of our love for God again going back to Steve's class this morning if, if we don't have love then that love Is without it, what we do is worthless. And so, because we love God, we choose to walk in faith, and we choose to listen—not just to understand God's word, but to to take God's word and apply it to our life in a way that we can follow the path or the journey of life that God has designed for each one of us. And let me say one more thing about that: when we are on that path and we're diligent to keep true to it our life will have a fulfillment in it that God created our life to have. Without following that path, we don't find that fulfillment in life. There's a sense that something's not right, something's not hitting the mark in our heart. And that's because if we're not being what God's created us to be in him, then we miss the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ, and there's something amiss and so following Christ being faithful to him out of a heart of love will in of itself reflect our love for him it's important to understand and i've already noted this again that, that the first five books of the torah are are all that the jews had that god gave them it's important to be reminded again that God has given us not just the first five books of the Bible, but all the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit, right, to help us to accomplish the things that God wants us to do through him. It's not by our power, but his might, by his power, by his strength, by his doing, but our surrender to him and acknowledging, okay, God, you have put this in my journey. This is a tough path right now. It's not an easy place to be, but I'm going to be faithful to you, and you're going to give me the grace that I need to get through it. So we have everything we need through the word and through the Holy Spirit that empowers us to stand strong and faithful to God, right? We have the Holy Spirit to do that. Amen? Amen. So I want to consider the life journey of Gideon. How many of you are familiar with Gideon? I love his story. I love it. But there's a part that I don't like about it, and we're going to look at it, about, look at it this morning. And, and, and it starts with Judges six eleven through 16. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, and I love this, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor god knew how brave gideon was he knew his character he knew his heart he knew what type of man he was and gideon said to him oh my lord if the lord is with us and i can you imagine talking to god you almost feel like you're talking back to him here but he's he's just being a man of integrity standing before god and being honest with god right he's being honest with him He oh my lord if the lord is with us Why then has all this happened to us? And where are his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. So if you're with us, Lord, why has this happened, right? I think that's not an unusual question, or at least it's not an unusual sentiment that might not be verbalized to the Lord. But nonetheless, God knows our heart. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? God was recognizing the, the brave character and integrity of Gideon, and then God was going to use that bravery that he had to work through him and to accomplish what God wanted to do. God was going to empower him to accomplish what he had. So in other words the character the personality of Gideon God used for a specific purpose and I think you and I need to remember that God knowing us better than we know ourselves will lay out something in front of us that God has prepared for us to tackle that's bigger than what we thought we were and we need to be willing to say God really (laughs) and God will say well you heard me (laughs) I'm sending you right So in verse 15, so he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? That's a legitimate question. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. It does not matter how insignificant you think you are. (laughs) You're not insignificant to God, and God wants to do what he wants to do through us, and if we're willing to take him up on what he wants us to do through him, then he'll empower us to do it. So it doesn't matter if we're weak or small or insignificant or or unknown or unseen or whatever the case is. In fact, when we're weak and insecure and unseen and not noticed, it's the perfect platform for God to to display his power. Remember what I've said before? The greater the odds, the greater the opportunity for God to reveal himself. And so when Satan says, oh, these are all the odds why you shouldn't do what God says, no, those odds tell me I have opportunity through faith and obedience to let God work through me to demonstrate who he is. And he's glorified and we grow in our faith. Praise the Lord for that. So again in verse 15, so he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now we know the story, but there were thousands. They were like a plague of grasshoppers all over Israel. And God called this man, Gideon, who was a man of valor and bravery that seemed to be insignificant and weak, or maybe even in his own perspective and in society's perspective was, and yet God said, I know your heart, and I'm going to use you as if one man to conquer all the Midianites, to, to set Israel free of this persecution, I'm using you. Now, if God spoke to you and said, I'm going to use you as one person to defeat ISIS or defeat you know, these things are so affronting to us that we see in our, in our culture today, right? Okay, God, let's do it. <laughs> you know, I know. I don't think most of us would respond that way. So it reflects Gideon's heart to say, God, I, I respect you, but I also love you, and I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I'm going to rely on you to accomplish that. So in the middle of a wicked time period, and when every man in Israel did what was right in their own eyes, that's how it is right today, and God had sent the Midianites to bring judgment on them. Midianites were there as a judgment because everybody was doing their own thing. And so God in his great mercy sent the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus, to use a man he saw as worthy to end his judgment and free the Israelites from the Midianites. He simply saw, here's a man that I can use, not only for my glory, but also to increase his faith. This is a man that I can use to show who I am, but also that I will reveal myself to him. And so God sees your heart, and he sees my heart, and I love the, the heart of Gideon that was, Lord, no matter how massive this was, and it was massive, I'm, I'm game. I'm with you on this. And God wants us to be that type of people, to be in, in, you know, to be in game with him, if you will, to, be the, to line up with him and accomplish what he wants. So at this point, Gideon is humble, right? He's feeling inadequate and unworthy to accomplish the great mission from God. But look what God called Gideon before he had even begun the mission. Remember what he said? Oh, mighty man of valor. God saw who he was. God saw Gideon's heart and sent the angel of the Lord to start him out on his God-given journey in life. So I'm glad that Gideon's journey was, is different than mine. <laughs> that I wasn't born in that time period called of God to fight against the Midianites. <laughs> you know? But each one of us, and this is the point, each one of us has our own journey. And each, each journey definitely has its challenge, but the challenge is based upon our love for God and our faith in him. We have to not just believe in God, but we have to be willing to trust him. There's a difference. We can believe God can do it, but do I trust him to do it through me? And we have to be willing to trust him. Because he could have just broken it all down and said, no, this is impossible. Truth is, it is without God. And yet he yielded by faith with a humble heart before the Lord. So through Gideon and 300 men, as you know the story, God defeated 135,000 Midianites. The odds I guess we could say we're stacked against him. The greater the odd, the greater the opportunity for God to reveal his glory. Right? And after the victory, the people were so thankful to Gideon, they asked him to become his king. But they were slipping there because they forgot that God was their king. Right? And Gideon, thankfully, did not accept their request. He instead asked for their golden earrings as payment. Then he turned the gold into a ephod. The high priest of, of Jerusalem, of Israel rather, um, wore what was like a little square breastplate, if you will. My wife says, that's why I don't have you have a lapel mic there. But... Uh, a breastplate that had stones, stones that represented each tribe of Israel and in the back of it was a pocket that had what is thought to be maybe a white stone and a black stone, something of contrast in the back. They'd ask God a question, do you want us to do this, yes or no? you reach in the pocket, the high priest would reach in the pocket, pull out the object and it, it would distinct, distinctively say yes or no by the object that it was. And so now, uh, Didion's saying, no, I don't, I don't want to be your king but I'm going to make an ephod, or ephod. So you see the track is going awry. He's getting off focus. It's shifting from God to him, and he was getting all this acclaim, all this credit. You delivered us from the Midianites. Well, the first thing he should have said, no, God did. But instead he said, no, I won't be your king, you know, but I will take your, your, some of your gold. Remember, 135,000 Midianites. Midianites were known to wear earrings, gold earrings. How many earrings? He said, just give me one of your earrings as part of the spoil. And so he took the earrings as a payment. Then he turned the gold into an ephod, which is normally worn by the high priest. And the ephod was made of gold, of blue, of purple, of scarlet, of fine twined linen. And so we see that again, the focus of Gideon became obscured and not focused on God. So shift from this right now because I want to assure you that my objective is that you see the application for us now. (laughs) And I trust the Holy Spirit to to do just that. Let's read what happened after that in Judges 8.27 Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in a city the city of Ophrah and all is get that? All Israel, all Israel, played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon into his house. He makes this ephod, he sets it up like an idol, if you will, to represent his victory. Not God's victory, his victory. Israel's excited about the, the deliverance from the thousands upon thousands of Midianites and all of Israel came to this little city of Ophrah to worship what had happened. Big mistake. Big mistake. The victory God gave to Gideon has gone to his head and he appears to have forgotten God, right? The creator of the gold that he had made his ephod out of. So, he replaced God with an idol of his own making. And that idol took him, his family, and his town, and all Israel down. Remember we talked about idols. Idols in, in our modern day time is anything that we value higher than God. So anything that we look to and we are passionate about, love more, honor more than God, that is our idol. Person, place, or thing. Okay. doesn't matter. We're not to do that. And so Gideon went from being a man in good standing with God and men to a man way off track on his journey in life. See, I like the first part of the story, his humbleness, his willingness, and his victory over the Midianites. But then it quickly changed. We need to be careful that when we rely on God to do something that's beyond our capability in and through our life, as we face challenges or as he leads us to a certain challenge, that when the victory is there, that we don't take credit, but that we give and take opportunity to give credit to God, because he deserves that. Let me put it another way. Whenever we pray and ask God for something, whether it's small or great, whatever it is, and God takes care of it or provides it, take the time when we realize it's taken care of to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for for taking care of that little issue that was was bugging me, or thank you for taking care of this big thing and this big need. Take the time to thank God, because that'll help us to not only be humble before God, it'll also help us to love and appreciate God that much more. So, I want to look at what wise King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22.1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name. God wants us to uphold his name in a world of darkness. His good name backed up by our authentic, genuine heart for him, love for him. But in doing so, we'll find out that our focus is on him and his priorities, not the things of the world like Gideon started looking at. And we will develop a name that is is good and respected and loved. And that in itself is more valuable than anything the world has to offer. You know, if you die in your family and your generations before, remember you as, man, you were a committed, loving Christian, and you were genuine. That's a good name, and that's what we should pursue. So Gideon chose gold and prestige over his good name. Gideon was only called by God to save the people from the Midianites. That was, what he, that was enough, right? He didn't call him to do more than that. He didn't ask him to make an ephod or to take payment. And unfortunately, his sin choice led many others astray. We need to remember how we respond to God. If we respond inappropriately, it can lead others astray. And if Gideon, Gideon only had chosen to be satisfied with a good standing, a good name and reputation on his journey through life, that would have been better. Hey, I honor God. Look what he did. And and he would have gone down even that much more, uh, recognized as as um, uh, that he would have this mar against his name. We know in Hebrews chapter 11 he's listed as one of the faithful in the faith chapter, so God honored him. But there's a mar there on how he responded. Before we wrap this up, Peter gives us some instructions on how to keep in good standing on our journey through life. First Peter 2:11 through 17. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts, war against the. Uh, uh, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation is thought to be uh, recognized as the day of judgment. That that people will remember who we are and our good character and our good name. Um, that Gentiles or the lost or, uh, and clarify that, people that are lost that that see our witness and our testimony will remember our good name in that day of visitation. In other words, they're going to see believers that have that good name and they're going to see themselves that don't have a relationship with Jesus, standing before God and his judgment. It's a scary place to be. Verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Obviously, as Christians, we respect our police officers and our, our emergency response team and our, our military and all that's set up for our good, Right? For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may not put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak or cover-up for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We don't want to present ourselves as Christians and standing on the word and use it as a, as a cover-up for us to do things that we know that God doesn't want us to do. That's, that's sacrilegious and um, repulsive to God. So Peter reminds us that we are sojourners. What is that? We are passing through. Life is like a vape. It appears and disappears. The span of life is like the span of, me, of a man's hand, which is across here. It's like the, the flowers that you know, pop up in the field, and by afternoon they're withered by the, the heat of the sun. Life is like that. This is our journey. This is our time allotted to us. This this is where we are sojourners, and I love that because it just reminds us that this is not our home, right? Peter reminds us that we are sojourners or pilgrims on a journey. We would do well to remember that this world is not our home. That helps keep our priorities and perspectives in check, that we're not building our, our treasures as this world, but our treasure is in Jesus, and how we follow him. If we follow these written instructions, we will be in good standing with God and men. Even the wicked will see the good in us. It might be like salt in their their wound, but, but the wicked will see that. Let's make it our focus to be in good standing so that God's name remains in good standing. So we have the two contrasts. We have the standing of the part one message of uplifting who God is and standing true to his word against the ways of our culture. This is what is right. This is what is wrong. 2 Timothy 2.15. Study the word to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth. That means this is true. This is not true. This is standing on God. This is upholding. The virtue of God and his word, the truth of his word. That was the first part of the message. The second part is now let our authenticity of heart and love for Jesus be seen in who we are. Let us have that good name and carry that good name before the Lord and before everyone else till he calls us home. What an honor it is to have a good name that honors God. Praise God for that. Let's go to the Lord. Father, well, I want to thank you for each one here. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the challenge that as we sojourn, as we're passing through a world that is not our home, is not our own, it's a perspective, Father, that you want us to have because we belong to you. We are in you. You are in us. We are your people called out of darkness to walk in your light, to be the sought, to be the people that you've chosen us to be. You've called us as a royal Nation, a holy priesthood, people who are, are distinctively different in character than that of the world because we are in you and you, again, are in us. A people that are, are, are standing as a bridge to help people that don't know you to come to know you. And that's for all of us, no matter how small we may feel or insignificant or unseen or whatever, this is the, this is the call this is the charge. This is the, the commission that God has given each of us. Just simply to live out our faith, live out our love for you, and to bear witness of, the, of your truth and bear witness of a life that's committed to you and hopes that through the truth of you and your word and a, and a witness of our own lifestyle that people would be compelled to come to know you as their Savior. And I pray, Father, that each one of us would experience this, that we would experience people seeing Jesus in us and wanting to know more about our faith. That brings you glory, Father. And I pray that we will actually have the privilege of introducing people to Jesus and seeing them receive him as their Savior. Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.